Welcome to Montana 3000, Tales of 15 Minutes From Now, read by the author, Sean Gallagher. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and see the website for updates on new episodes at montana3000.com. And now, your host, Sean Gallagher. Blunt-Knived Mams A general affront to his Epicurean sensibilities, slow cooker cooking is the lazy refuge of blunt-knived mams. Or so he thought, prior to tasting this admixture of exotic sensory delight. The marriage of color and texture, the warm-spiced smell, the unctuous yet chewy graveled mouthfeel, not to mention the explosion of flavor. Never in his life has Jimmy Thibodeau tasted anything so sublime as the crock-served amuse-gel upon which he now unrestrainedly sets himself. Who made this? He purrs quietly to Carol, as he grabs yet another baguette slice and dunks it greedily into the bubbling pot, not even caring that he's in up past the first knuckle. I did, she perks happily, enjoying Jimmy's enjoyment. I call it Carol's queso. It's a family favorite. I usually make it with sausage, but this time I used ground elk. Hank pulled a tag last season. Jimmy stuffs in the entire cheese-slopped slice, then says before chewing, It's amazing. Not too spicy. Just right. I'll get you the recipe. I like to experiment with heat. Sometimes I use jalapenos. This time I tried. Next to Jimmy and Carol, half listening but not participating, stands Dexter Ambrose. Adolescent Toxicity Claims Associate and two-year cubicle mate of Tammy LaFont, Meditech's Customer Complaints Division Woman of the Hour. Having had a large breakfast, Dexter, despite the enticing potluck laid out before him, limits his noshing to a deviled egg, a few carrot sticks, a peanut butter brownie, and two snickerdoodles. Overhearing Carol's dip so enthusiastically panagerized, he also resolves to try the queso as soon as finger-licking Jimmy gets out of the way. Competing for Dexter's attention with Carol's soliloquy on the merits of roasted versus unroasted hatched chilies is the memory of a long-ago conversation he and Tammy once had over the top of their cubicle divider. One of the charms of sharing intimate workspace with another is that you get to hear half of all the details of their calls, when not on one of your own. Tammy was coming off an animated exchange with a caller who was wrapped around the axle about a cancer diagnosis and its presumed connection to the cadmium content of the recently recalled Meditex ZR4000 Hyperlite Thought Drive. As the company's first line of defense, Tammy's job is to take the call, log the complaint, and forward the details to tort prevention, a sizable department housed off-campus a few miles away in the Meditex East Annex near Liversburg. If you can detach yourself from the calls and don't mind getting yelled at, it's an easy job. Tammy can and doesn't, and so for her, it is. Jill has put me in a tight spot, Dexter remembers Tammy saying as she popped her head over the divider like a gopher, picking up the thread of their conversation from an hour ago. Her cancer call entirely forgotten as soon as the particulars were keyed in and the connection cut. She wants me to keep quiet about a thing, and I'm not sure I should. Dexter knew that response was neither expected nor required, so he held his tongue. And after a quick glance around the office bay to ensure no one was listening, she continued. Apparently, Jill's mom has come down with a touch of the chlamydia. She dramatically lowers her voice at the word chlamydia, and Dexter inwardly stifles a giggle, but his visage reveals nothing. 
Tammy continues. She got divorced a while back and has been dating a bit. A bit too much, it sounds like to me. Friendly silence from Dexter. Of course, Jill is horrified and doesn't want anyone to know, but I just don't think a thing like that can be kept a secret. It's none of my business what Jill's mom does, and of course I'm not going to say anything to anyone, but now she's putting out germs to unsuspecting others, and I don't think that's right. If the word gets out, she has no one to blame but herself. Like I always say, you reek what you show. More smiling silence from Dexter. Karma always wins in the end. That's another thing I say. As Dexter reminisces on the unfortunate lot of Jill's mom, all the while inching closer to the purling vat of Carol's queso, across the room, Victor Ramirez, Meditech's vice president of malfeasance and resolution, is eulogizing soon-to-be-retiring Tammy, who stands beaming by his side, alternately blushing and nodding at Vic's flatteries and laughing in all the right places. His hand rests lightly on her shoulder. One of the keys to doing this job well is keeping and using your head when things get hot. And no one does it better than Tammy here, Victor is saying. His hand moves to her forearm. I remember happening by her pod one day when she was fielding a particularly nasty call. It had to do with a kid having his eye put out. I think it was blunt trauma from a first-gen virtual immersion helmet. Some of you here remember the headaches those things gave us. Laugh groans from around the room. It was actually a laser injury from the helmet's high-res visor, Vic. Tammy corrects. Oh yeah, that's right. Anyhow, the call went south fast and had real level 5 potential, but Tammy stayed cool. Without giving anything away, she quietly live loops one of the Torprev guys, then flips her auto script or to manual and lets the lawyer drive. With his help, Tammy steers the conversation around to an admission that the user instructions were received by audio playback off a handheld and not uploaded to a local hard drive, per the disclaimer. Tammy even got the mother to admit that when the kid got hurt, in a rush to get to the hospital, she didn't properly power down the unit before she left the house. The whole thing was recorded and gave the litigation team enough daylight to settle quickly and prevent a full-blown product malfunction case. It was beautiful. Playful cheers, claps, and even a joking huzzah pop up around the room. And that's just one example. In 20 years of service, she's got a million of them. No one's going to miss you more than me, Tam. Thanks for everything. He's now holding her hand in both of his. Her eyes are soft. Despite the subtle drama unfolding between Vic and Tam, few of the Meditech's family are absorbing the nuance as their attention has just been elsewhere drawn. It's a nearly universal truth. Spend enough time in the corporate bowels and eventually you too will be seduced by the company cake. The company cake the primary and oftentimes only reason anyone shows up to these things. It's the lure that brings them in. It's the promise that makes them stay. For everyone knows, the cake isn't cut until the speeches are made, the crocodile tears shed, and the plaques dispensed. Then out it comes in all its glory, to be sliced in a portion to those with stamina enough to outlast the blather. But don't be fooled, for unlike company employees everywhere, all company cakes are not created equal. For more on how everyone is the same but different, see the HR Handbook, page 13, Core Values, Mission Statement, and Active Shooter Protocol. To those uninitiated, it might surprise you to know that the secret to a superior company cake is not in the cake. Sure, some cakes are moister than others, some people prefer chocolate to vanilla, some are occasionally put off by a nut allergy. But these are hair-splitting distractions that take one's eye off the ball from the real dealmaker, the frosting. 
There are many types of frosting, each with its attendant votary. Some prefer ganache, some royal icing, some stiff-peaked meringue. Some others favored as buttercream, or whipped cream even. A simple glaze is the choice of yet others still. For Marjorie Mayfield, however, nothing but cream cheese frosting will do. Something about the simple combination of butter, vanilla, powdered sugar, and farmer cheese just really floats her boat. And here it comes now, rolling out on a gurney big enough to carry a cadaver, replete with sparkler candles and serenaded by a rousing version of For She's a Jolly Good Fellow, led by none other than division heavyweight and office Lothario, Victor Ramirez. It's a gorgeous gateau, for which no expense was spared, multi-tiered and flower-strewn, oozing with decadence and covered, of course, in cream cheese frosting. So why the look of concern, Marjorie? Is it because you're afraid you won't get a slice? Nothing to fear there. That cake is big enough to feed this room of 150 twice over. Is it because you're going to miss Tammy and her Monday morning humble brags? Phil and I took the boys out on the boat this weekend. For such a small thing, it sure does go fast. Hardly. You don't even know Tammy. Maybe it's because you don't belong here. Maybe it's because you snuck into the building under the guise of a family friend congratulations Tammy Wellwisher. Maybe it's because you're afraid someone will peel back your subterfuge and check your pockets. Is that it, Marjorie? Are you afraid they'll find what's in your pocket? No bandwidth for doubt now. Cake time is go time. Boardroom rules of engagement have taken a dark turn since the slog back from the most recent depression. In fairness, the crater caused by the last impact took grit to crawl out of. We blew it deep. And where bloody knuckles and a strong chin were enough before to fight your way over and through the gold-backed jungle, this time you'd better have a blade in your hind pocket if you want a piece. Or better yet, a gun. For while the most successful corporate leaders of this new economy necessarily espouse of-the-people principles, their egalitarian veneer encases the heart, mind, and soul of the timeless totalitarian. With one hand, the people must be deftly led. Loose hand on the rein, so to speak. Don't mind me in the saddle, it's you choosing our course. In the other hand, behind the back, is the cat of nine tails hidden from view, but ready for lashing. Discretion is required to know when to use which, and hair-trigger resolve is key once the choice is made. It's a subtle balance to maintain, too nerve-wracking for the faint of heart, and ill-suited to the merely brutal. As in all such regimes, paranoia runs rampant. Ever-present in the minds of those at the table's head is the question, how do I keep my seat? Ever-present in the minds of those around the table how do I get to the head? In both cases, the answer is insidious in its simplicity, by any means necessary. All regenerative systems require new modalities to survive. Evolve or cease to exist, it's an unavoidable binary. Nowhere is this principle more starkly on display than in the realm of biological heritability. But evolution is a two-pronged fork. Sometimes the more direct route to progress is not waiting for fins to form feet, but rather to kill and eat your rival. Business is the same. It's in this spirit of eating one's rivals that Dark Guard was formed. Known as a night label outfit, it's not a name you'll find in any respectable business directory, though their closely guarded client list is meters long and spans the globe. Their skill set is broad and their services bespoke, 
but throughout every contract weaves a similar thread. Assassination. That's not to say they're murderers for hire, though anything for a price. No, their services typically offer a more delicate tracery. Violence of the dark guard variety favors focus on the target's virtue, not their person. This was not always the case. In the early days of the firm's inception, many a St. Moritz ski accident or Gulf Stream malfunction could be traced back via complex trajectory to a dark guard operative. But over time, it was discovered that fewer questions were asked, fewer eyebrows raised, when the target in question met their end not by some suspicious violence, but by a revealed turpitude of the victim's own making. Fewer tears are always shed for the pedophile than for the playboy. And so the service offering of character assassination rose to the top of the dark guard menu. At first blush, it might seem surprising, shocking even, to know how quickly the queue filled with aspirant dark guard patrons. Hundreds, thousands from around the business globe took a number and stood in line waiting for their chance to take the legs out from under their respective challengers. As heads rolled and rumors flowed, Dark Guard's name was increasingly whispered on squash courts and back nines from New York to Tokyo and everywhere in between. For the well-appointed executive, it became de rigueur to have ACME, the alias for Dark Guard's international answering service, included in one's contact list. In a stroke of marketing genius, the firm eventually began promoting its services to the business world's echelon of middle management. And that's when the iron got real hot. It turns out that many executives eventually assume a level of professional exhaustion in their lives. They have most of what they want and can no longer muster the same bloodlust needed to heed that animal call to kill or be killed. Not so the middle manager. For there is perhaps no thirst greater than that of branch manager Bob wanting to become senior vice president Robert. And there are many Bobs out there who will do anything to slake that thirst. It's a subtle art, that of discreditation. One can't simply hang flyers around town saying Tom Smith beats his wife or Sally Jones embezzles. Such ham-handed tactics will engender naughty no-no finger-wagging and head-shaking and indignant disapproval, but the damage inflicted will be glancing at best. To really wreak havoc, one doesn't throw stones. One plants seeds. Seeds that in time rot to dead gardens of opprobrium. The requisite tools in the kit are myriad and must be employed with patience and precision. Forgery is a cornerstone. Rentals, purchases, deposits, withdrawals, all manner of electronic movement must be falsified. This includes the movement of data, files and photographs most specifically. Historical records must be doctored, educational, medical, criminal, financial, and all must conform to the same storyline. Ms. or Mr. X does bad things when no one is looking. They're not who you think they are. It's not just placement of data that must be attended to, however. Covering one's tracks is equally critical in this age of digital forensics. Every byte must be intentionally placed and accounted for, lest the discreditor be discredited and the mark made a martyr. Every single byte. It's a resource-heavy enterprise, Dark Guard, employing many of the world's most gifted coders, Hackers, programmers, and digital sharpshooters. A team of geniuses to rival any company in the world. But the creme de la creme of Dark Guard's impressive stable is not to be found in the labyrinthine corridors of its undisclosed location, but on the front lines of the world's business battlefield. For the company's truest shadow walkers, 
its ninjas are the droppers. Digital evidence is condemning, and many a competitor of the wrong person has been marched before the corporate and social firing squad via the path of counterfeit files and sham communiques. But the true coup de grace, that finishing round at the back of the head, is always best delivered by physical, tactile proof. Crumpled Polaroids, lipstick-smudged collars, errant ATM receipts, these are the fate sealers of the unwitting damned. And while hacking into a target system and implanting untraceable data from hundreds or even thousands of kilometers away requires an expertise only a handful of people in this world possess. Breaking into that same person's home or office, their physical space, and executing an undetected plant requires an operative with the guile and stealth of a serpent. It requires a dropper. A dropper like Marjorie. If you can crash one effectively, parties are a great time to drop. No one ever really knows everyone, and you can claim confusion if caught wandering. All the better if there are drunks and drugs. Keeps the revelers foggy. Daytime office parties, like this one, are generally dry. But there's always a window when the crowd's regard is collectively absorbed. Cake time is go time. Personally, Marjorie, not her real name, cares nothing about the mark. It's just a file number to her. Professionally, however, Marjorie cares very much about the details and knows nearly everything there is to know about Yumi Tan, president of the Meditex Media Steerage Division. Marjorie's Yumi file includes such specifics as her family background, her finances, her proclivities, her aversions, her medical history, her spending habits, her social habits, and her eating habits, to name a few. It also includes the names, locations, and specifics of her family and friends, as well as her known enemies one of whom evidently has a big axe to grind. Conventional wisdom suggests the more complete the file, the more refined the drop. Present directive calls for two puts, the first of which was made in the parking garage on the way into the party. In the far back of Yumi's glove box, plate number BR3G-26L5, surreptitiously tucked by Marjorie beneath the vehicle registration, owner's manual, proof of insurance, and a pouch of sanitizing wipes, is a neatly folded and innocuous-looking receipt from a very specific car wash, performed on a very specific date, and paid for with a very specific credit card. When discovered, and hopefully no time soon, the receipt and its implications will have all the nuance of a knowing glance and carry with it all the force of a slug to the chest. Based on previously purloined floor plans, Marjorie knows that Yumi's office is on the building's ground floor, one deck below the party. Workhorse Yumi spends 12 to 14 hours a day locked away in her office, so a desk drawer or sofa cushion plant was deemed unfeasible, as was a purse plant, which is possible, but unnecessarily risky in this case. Consequently, the first floor employee break room was chosen as the location of the second put. More specifically, the back of the pantry's top shelf. It's there, with gloved hands, that Marjorie now quickly but deliberately places a zip-sealed bag containing three homemade cookies, Grandma Tan's recipe, across the front of which is written, Yumi's, don't eat. One of the three cookies has been adulterated with a very incriminating trace of synthetic necrotoxin, DN-1218, an experimental compound the only extant sample of which recently disappeared from the heavily guarded R&D facility of Mundo Pharmaceutica in Madrid. Similar to the receipt, the hope and intention is for it to take some time for this breadcrumb to be discovered, 
As call center maven and weekend boating enthusiast Tammy LaFont might say, revenge is a fish best served old. A job isn't done until final extraction, and sound procedure dictates one moves swiftly but casually from the drop site to prearranged transport as quickly as possible. Marjorie has scouted several departure routes, the most expedient of which is the building's main ingress-egress, just out and to the left of the break room door. It leads straight across the parking lot to the public bus stop, where the 115 will be along any minute. She moves toward it now, then pauses in recollection. I really shouldn't, she thinks aloud, then glances at her watch. But there's always the 125. What the hell? Then out the break room and hard right, Marjorie heads for the elevator and up to the second floor, where she rejoins the party just in time to have a taste of that cream cheese frosting atop a slice of the company cake. The End This has been another episode of Montana 3000. Check out the website for more information and additional stories. Montana3000.com If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. Until next time, happy trails.